Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Over the past 25 years, Judy Gold has starred in her own half-hour stand-up specials for HBO, Comedy Central, and Logo, has won two Emmy Awards for writing for The Rosie O'Donnell Show, and appeared on numerous daytime and late-night talk shows. Gold has written and starred in two off-Broadway solo shows, The Judy Show, My Life is a Sitcom, and 25 Questions for a Jewish Mother. Her recent TV credits include Showtime's I'm Dying Up Here and FX's Better Things. She has performed in New York City's Shakespeare in the Park, portrayed Linda Tripp in Clinton the Musical, and had gotten cast in her first Broadway production for fall 2020 before the coronavirus pandemic shut that down. At least she still has a new book ready to come out in July 2020. Yes, I can say that. When they come for the comedians, we are all in trouble. As well as her own podcast, Kill Me Now. Fortunately, she's still alive and well and willing to talk to me during quarantine over Zoom. So let's get to it. And away we go. So Judy Gold, last things first. How are you coping? Okay. (laughs) That's a really good question. Because on the one hand, I feel like the nature of my life, you know, being a comic and just, you know, not knowing, ever knowing what's going to happen. Am I going to pay, be able to pay my rent in six months? You know, I have lived this sort of life for so long that I I feel like I have so many coping mechanisms for, you know, being a being stuck somewhere because I was on the road for so long. Uh, but also, you know, this unknown of, of, of living with the unknown. I think that's what's hard for so many people who have routines and have set up their life in a different way. So I feel like I have some coping mechanisms, but sometimes <clears throat> the anxiety, if you really sat and thought about it, like, I can't do that to myself because, I, I mean... You think about how you interact with people in your daily life and how that's like life threatening now, you know? And even when I go, like I went to the store, I went to um, Trader Joe's and, I, and I'm like, oh, you know, what if someone here has, it's like, it's, it's crazy. And then you're walking around, everyone has masks on, everyone has gloves on. And you're like, oh, this is normal. But like two months ago, you would think it was crazy. Right. And then add, add to that with the the way the, the all the health professionals say who is more susceptible to this. Uh, this pandemic is also an example where kids might be as worried or more worried about their parents as parents are about their kids. Right. Is that your experience with your kids? Yes. Uh you know, my older son is in Connecticut at his girlfriend's family. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go to New York. I need my clothes. I'm like, you're not going to New York. You're not going to New York. You know, that that because they still think they're invincible. You know, right. oh, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll just quarantine for 14 days. I'm like, 
No, you won't. You're not sitting in my apartment by yourself for 14 days. I know what it's like when you're there and you're not quarantined. It's disgusting. And you're not going there without anyone there, you know? Um, But it is, you're so worried because, you know, first they're like, oh, it's people over 70. Then it's anyone. Then it's people with pre-existing conditions. It's like they don't know anything. And you hear all these stories like, this person had was very healthy and was 32 years old, dead. You know, it's just the scary. I can't, like, it's so scary. But you're a comedian. It's supposed to be. Here's the other thing. I don't think I've gone this long without doing a set in mm-hmm. 30 plus years. I can't even, 35 years. I, I haven't done a set in a, a month. Has Has this changed your perception or philosophy toward the new ways that comedy people make money online, whether it's Patreon or I know you have a cameo. Uh, People also have other ways of monetizing their act online. Have you reconsidered any of them? I I do say to myself, Oh, maybe, you know, I'm such a purist when it comes to stand up. Like I have my notebook and I have, you know, I'm just a nerd. I'm a comedy nerd. I liked the process of writing and then getting on stage every night. And I, and I sort of resented when social media came out. I was like, Oh my God, please. I now I have to do that too. Like I just want to get on stage and be funny. You know, now I have to have a certain amount of followers to get a booking and, but you know, and I see that, you know, now all these people who did have, who have Patreons and, you know, I have a podcast, which is great, but I have now is not the right title though. I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Uh, kill me later. I, yeah. you know, I feel like, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, maybe, Oh, they were smarter than me, but it now it's inundated. Like people are just, so desperate that, you know, they're just creating stuff. I don't know. It's so, it's like, there's two schools of thought, you know, because part of me wants to be like, I don't, I don't want to post anything that's not going to age well because we don't know where it's going. You know, there's so many people who are like, all right. When I, if I have to see another very wealthy celebrity, complaining about being quarantined in their friggin' mansion, you know, in Los Angeles or the Hollywood Hills, like, oh, it's so hard for me. No, it's not hard for you. (laughs) It's not hard for you. Look at how much space you have and you're rich. You don't have to worry about where your next paycheck's coming from. Like, it's so annoying. But, you know, you don't want to minimize it. You don't want to maximize i don't know it's there's a fine line but you know what i feel like we're realizing what works online and what doesn't work online what works for you stand up without an audience does not work for me no you you feed off of the the energy in the room right right yeah so and even you watch these the late night people it's like it's weird it's so weird it's like you can't pretend you can't do it that same way I don't know. I have been binge watching mm-hmm. like never before. I'm sort of having this life <clears throat> where like at night 
when I usually go to work, I'm like, oh, I can have dinner and and what this is what normal people do. It's like so weird. Like, right, you see how do. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so you so you guys watch TV and then like you get ready for bed. Like it's so weird. Yeah. It but is there's weird. something very calming about not having any pressure of I, I don't, do I have to go to this opening? Do I have to go to that? Oh, I should appear here. I got to do, you know, this idea of, you know, no, I don't have to do anything right now. I can do nothing and it's fine. Right. You know what I mean? Although this is happening right when you were, you were starting to see some strangers behind you or. Oh, that was, that's my son, Ben. <laughs> There he is. I don't I know got, what's... I got worried is. for you for a second. <laughs> but this is coming at a time when, like, you know, at least you at least you completed production on the Better Things. Did Better Things. You know what's so annoying is that I had so much stuff coming up. I was like, wow, this is going to be a great year. Yeah. Yeah, there's the Judy and Varla show, which you were... Yeah. The Judy and Varla show at Joe's Pub. Right. Netflix is a joke festival. Netflix is a joke festival. Um, I also got cast in a Broadway show that was going to be starting this fall. Oh, my goodness. Postponed. Uh, Tribeca. I was in a film in Tribeca Film Festival. Bye-bye. Not to mention all my personal appearances. Mm -hmm. Take care. And... I was like, wow, everything started. And my book, my book is coming out in July, so that's good. Right, at least you um, finished that. But still, I was so, I was like, wow. Because, you know, you work so hard. I've been in this business so long. I have great years. I have horrible years. And I was just like, oh, this is going to be, this, the near future is looking good, and I'm going to enjoy it. Because, you know, it takes you 35 years to realize, oh, you can, you can enjoy this now. Okay. Cause every, you know, I live in this world, like, oh, uh, you know, something good happens to me. I'm, I'm like, oh, what bad thing is going to happen? And when I got the call that I was cast in this Broadway show, which is bucket list for me, cause I've done so much off Broadway and not Broadway, Broadway. You have done Shakespeare in the park. Yeah, that's true. But they consider that. Yeah, that's true. They do consider it off. Broadway. Anyway, but when I got cast in this show, I was like, oh, my God, bucket list. And I jokingly said to my, <laughs> I jokingly said to my manager, because I have the worst luck, I said, I'm waiting for the call where the theater burns down. But instead, we got a pandemic. <laughs> and I can't complain. It's like you can't complain because so many people have it worse off. Right. It, is it any easier that you've had to have these career coping mechanisms for, like you said, 35 years, that having to wait a little bit longer is just easier? Yeah, I guess it's just like, you know, there's, you know, people are all always say in this business, well, it wasn't meant to be, or I guess it's not, you know, when you don't get something or yeah. you know, it's, there's a reason that happened, you know, and I used to think like that. And then I was like, no, there isn't, you know, <laughs> what's the reason it, it's, 
it is what it is. It's like, it, it, it you, there's so much you don't have control over. That's mm-hmm. what you realize. Like being in this business, you realize you have no control over things. And then you also realize that 99% of stuff isn't about you. Like you didn't get this job or you, this, you worked on this audition and you didn't get the job has nothing to do with you. It, it's like you did the best you could. Maybe, maybe one of the producers, you remind him of an ex-girlfriend who he hate, you know, it's like, there's so many circumstances that are out of control. And now I just feel like this entire thing is out of our control. But the weirdest part of it is usually when something bad happens, you're like, you, there's an expert or someone you can call, well, what's going to happen? And they know, but no one knows what's going to happen. That's what the, you know, <laughs> even, Dr. even Fauci. Dr. Fauci. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, in terms of like normal questions, um, you played a character in, uh, the Showtime series, I'm dying up here about comedy where you were kind of, uh, trying to impart wisdom and advice to a younger woman. Right. Comedy. Was there anybody who did that for you in real life? Oh yeah. Um, the first person who did that was Adrian Tolsh, who, oh, yeah. rest in peace, when I, when I had started doing stand-up in the early 80s, and I would go, I was still in college, but I would go to Catch a Rising Star, Monday night was open mic night, and she was the host. And I had done a show at my college where it was her it was Adrian, Bill Shaft, and Larry Amaros, and it was called Campus Comedy, and I got to do five minutes. Um, and they told me, you know, you're funny. And I was like, really? And, you know, it was when a comic tells you you're funny, a yeah. season cut, you know. And she's like, come on Monday night. I, I'll put you up. But, you know, of course, I didn't know that I'd be standing there till two in the morning, you know. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I do like 10 minutes at 2, 2.30 in the morning. But I used to get, you know, you wait around and wait around in the beginning to get on stage. And it's like, remember, remember the Olympics? There was, the, there was a figure skater. She was American. They thought she was going to win. She was African-American figure skater, Karen something. I think her name was. Anyway, and everyone was like rooting for her. and she ended up getting the last slot and she kind of, you know, waited around, waited around, saw everyone kill mm-hmm. like, and then didn't do as well as everyone thought she was going to do. And that's sort of like what it was like in the beginning. You're waiting around, waiting, you're so revved up. And then finally it's like four hours later and it's okay, Judy, your turn to go on. You're like, well, and there's four people in the audience. And I just, she said to me, and I used to get really nervous. She said, you know, Judy, you, you have this 10 minutes of stage time. This is, you earned that. And when you're on stage doing your set, that's your time. And don't let anyone ever tell you what you should do, you know, in that time period of, you know, you earned the stage time. Now do with it what you will. And, and don't waste it, you know, basically. And, so that was one thing I always felt like, wait, whenever I second guess myself or thought, 
you know, or someone tried to psych me out or some guy went on before me and talked about, you know, his dick and, and, you know, his wife getting him a beer and then you have to go on stage, you know, I always, that always rang true with me. And then Joan Rivers um, was like, produce your own stuff, do it all yourself. No one's going to do anything for you. And it's so true. It's like you have all these reps, you have all these people who are taking a percentage of you, um, but they, but you still have to create the opportunities. You know what I mean? And you, and be prepared because you don't get that many chances. And when you get a chance, you better be prepared because I've, if I think back to the people I knew when I first started in the eighties, like so many of them, I don't even know where they are now or what they're doing with their life. You know? Right. We, we hear about the ones who hit it big, but yeah, not, not the hundreds of others who might've gotten a and E's evening at the improv, but that was right. it. Right. And then bye-bye. Right. I just can't take this lifestyle anymore. I'm done. Was, um, was Joan's advice the reason why you ended up doing your two shows, 25 Questions for a Jewish Mother and My Life is Joan, a Yeah, you know, Joan, um, I did those because I felt like, you know, I, I love the theater. And, you know, once I started doing stand-up in a theater setting, I mean, there's really nothing like it. You know, people are always like, oh, what's the difference between doing stand-up and doing theater or, or acting? You know? And it's that when you're doing stand-up, you have to get their attention. And when you're doing theater, you have to keep their attention. Mm. And so it's like, whenever I was in a theater, it felt like a little more pressure because here they are. They're not drinking. They're not like, you know, ordering, you know, bar food and getting up and peeing. They're like, okay, entertain me. I paid a lot of money. I'm going to, and I'm paying attention. So you really had to, you know, and, and it was so much, I mean, I think in a way it was more pressure, but it was also like, oh my God, how nice is this? There's no blender going off. No one's fighting in the back. No one's, you know, getting in a fight with the, you know, um, uh, whatchamacallit, the door guy, you know, like, cause they're wasted. No one's heckling me. And I wanted to do a one person show, but I didn't want it to be my stand up with like music or my stand up with a set, you know, I wanted it to really be a story. And so I, I, that was, that was just, I got to this point in my career where I wanted to be on stage telling a story um, and being able to act. And since I'm so gigantic and I would never, and it's like, you're a type, you're a certain type and I'm so tall and I'm, you know, it's hard for me to get parts. So I was like, I want to write a one person show, but I want it to be about something. And it, and so that's, those were my two one person shows. Um, and I'm hopefully going to do, I'll be doing another one based on the book I just wrote. Uh, it's funny. you talk about like the blender and the hecklers and it just, it makes me think that for as much as comedy has gotten bigger and bolder and better in many ways in 2019, if you went to a comedy club, you were dealing with the same exact things that you dealt with in 1989. There was but plus phones. Wait, That's, plus cell phones. Yeah, which made it even worse 
because it, I'm so glad that's so interesting that you said that because, um, so the seller, the comedy seller decided several months ago, no phones. So you, if you're an audience member, you go and they give you a container for your phone that you have to put your phone in. Right. And months ago, I was doing a, an hour at the Fat Black Pussycat, which is above the Village Underground. And I'm in the middle of my set. I'm like 20 minutes in, 25 minutes in, and the audience is great, and everyone's paying attention, and it's like a unit. Like, that's the thing about stand-up. When the audience is, is, audience is a unit, which is usually the result of a great MC. Um, which people don't realize how important that job is. So. Uh, so I remember I was standing on stage and it was like, wow, this is like magic in here. And I realized they had just implemented the no phone thing. And I almost started crying because I was like, Oh my God, this is the way it used to be. Like people were here because they wanted to be here and they, they're not looking at their phone or uh, it was so like, Oh my God. So yeah, it's, it is the same crap. It is the blender. It is the waitress. It is people getting up to go to the bathroom and the, you're just about to set something up and someone gets up and walks in front of everyone. You know, there's no decorum in a comedy club, but then you add the phones to it and it's, Oh, oh, I, you know what? I just zoned out, so I'm going to look at my phone. Like, I, you know how many times I stop in the middle of my show? I go, what are you doing? Like, seriously. <laughs> I've had people make, start making out during my, I go, you're making, I have the most annoying voice. <laughs> you're attracted to her right now? Like, seriously? But yeah, I, and I, don't you wonder what's going to happen now? Like, that we haven't, because stand up, you know, I know they close theaters because everyone's on top of each other, but you know, stand up is a lot of spitting, a lot of people laughing with their mouths open. I mean, talk about spreading coronavirus, the mic, you and know, it th- and it thrives on intimacy. Right. What's so, going to happen? Who knows? I but know. then again, like, I don't know if 1986. Judy Gold could have foreseen 2020 or 2019 stand-up comedy where you can be out, you can be trans, oh. anything you want on stage. Yeah. You, weren't, you weren't out for your first several years, right? Right. It took me, I came out, I used to intimate, you know, like I would do jokes about mm-hmm. my life, you know, which included my gay friends and everything. But when I had, when our first child was born, um, I had so much material about being a parent, you know? And it was like, wait, everyone talks about, like, I'm not going to not talk. So I talk about my kids and my family. I had so much stuff. And I really came out as a gay parent. uh, Okay. Because I never really wanted to, I was a comic first who happened to be gay, just like I am me and I happen to be a lesbian, you know? But I always, I never wanted to be pigeonholed. I wanted to be a great comic. And then, you know, Henry's born and he has two moms and the crap people say to us. I mean, it was just hilarious. And 
when I started doing my set about, you know, I talk about my kids and my family and people in the audience would be like, oh, well, they're just like us. Their family's just like us. And it really, you see the power of laughter that at some point they, people were forgetting that it was two moms, you know? And I rem- I used to do a bit before marriage equality about all the people who are allowed to get married and I'm not like Jerry Sandusky, you know, Eric Menendez gets married in jail and I can't get, you know, I would do this whole thing. Mary Kay Letourneau is marrying her 13 year old student, you know, <laughs> and she has more rights. And I used to do this whole thing. And I remember once in Houston, this army guy came up to me and was like, you know, I really see why you guys want to get married now. I really see what the point, you know, because it's like, there's so, so many ways you can make people laugh and trick them into thinking or changing their mind. And that's the path that it was. So what is so powerful about satire and speaking truth to power, you know? Right. You know, that, that brings up, you know, your new book that comes out in July of 2020, uh, earth pending. If earth is still around. Yes. Um, God is called. Well, yes. I, I luck. It's called. Yes. I can say that. And, uh, it's all about free speech and, and comedians and the power of that. But going back to your early days in comedy, like you felt you couldn't talk about yourself. I know. So because it was about, it would have been about that, you know? So, and it's sort of, if you look at the history, especially of women comics, right. You see, like, Jean Carroll, um, who was really one of the first women to do traditional stand-up. And no one really talks about her that much, but she, it was interesting. And you look at Joan Rivers and, you know, you look at Moms Mabley or Phyllis Diller. Like, they all would open up with, essentially, their first few jokes were like, hi, I know I'm a piece of crap and I should be making dinner for my kids, you know, disarm, disarm, disarm. I know my place in society and they sort of get that out of the way and then they go into their material, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, which guys never did, never had to say, Hey, I know I'm like, you know, fat and disgusting and you know, uh, they never did that. They never had to say, I know my place okay, so it's okay to laugh with me. Um, And I think it was, it's so, when I think back to the 80s, like Bob Smith, rest rest in peace, Bob. He he was in the mid-80s. He was going on stage and he came out in traditional comedy clubs. I mean, there were a lot of gay comics, you know, who we could go to the duplex or some other places where it was safe to be gay. But to be gay, um, in a traditional comedy club and think that you're going to get on evening at the improv or Caroline's comedy. It was like, Nope, next. And Bob Smith used to come out in the mid eighties in the height of the age crisis. And he had a joke, um, in the middle of his act, he would say, um, I, I, I told my parents I was, gay at Thanksgiving 
It was a care. I made my, oh, I made my carefully worded announcement at Thanksgiving. I said to my mother, would you please pass the gravy to a homosexual? She passed it to my father. So, um, and that was his, right. And that was his way of saying he was gay and then he could go on about it. And so, but the, the way people thought of gay people and trans people, it was like, if anyone knew you were gay, you were, you know, you couldn't be in show business. It was awful. Right. You won your Emmys working with Rosie O'Donnell. Right. And she didn't really come out until later. Yeah. She didn't come out till later. I mean, of course everyone knew, but it's so funny because (laughs) well, I, when I think of that show, I'm working on Rosie. John John McDaniels is the um, music director. Uh, so it was so gay friendly. The the staff and in the writers and you know producers. It was the gayest show on te- television, and yet all these people were like, "This she's reinventing," you know, television, which she really did. But all these people at home watching. These housewives, if you will, or, you know, gay men who worked at night or whatever, you know, the people who were watching daytime TV were watching the gayest show on TV and just not even realizing or not wanting to realize that, you know, you're in the middle of a gay, like a gay bar. Right. (laughs) You know? Did, do you think people, I mean, I was too young to really fully comprehend, but like thinking of like Hollywood squares with Paul Lind in the center square, like everybody knew, right? It was just. Oh, I'm, everyone knew. Like when I was friends was with Florence Henderson. Yeah. And no one talked about it. And I was friends with Florence Henderson and she, she said during, it was either during the pilot of the Brady Bunch and, and there was oh, some right. scene where he's, he's kissing Mm -hmm. you know he's kissing her and the director is like come on mike you gotta really you know and to the point where you know florence had figured it out and uh he the director was making him feel like uncomfortable and florence was like you know what forget it um and i think that of course in the arts there were so many gay people who were out to each other you know we're all new Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's still to this day actors who won't come out. True. You know? And then in comedy, famously, there was Ellen, who, when she came out in her hit sitcom, had that taken away from her. But then... Immediately, yeah. But then years later, now women adore her. Of course. And it's it's so... They want to dance with a lesbian on the TV. Right, right. It's so, you know, I used to always say, and it's true, you know, everyone knows and loves a gay person, whether or not they know that they know and love a gay person. And that's why it's so important for people. You know, Harvey Milk was the one who was like, come out. It's the only way to change people's minds is to know that their daughter or their niece or their teacher or their, but still to this day, you have Mike Pence. And his stupid ass wife who won't, you know, like <laughs> there's still people like that. I don't know what you're trying to say. <laughs> um, it's, it's incredible. It's but incredible. you don't talk about, you don't talk about much of that in the book though. It's more about. 
comedians being able to say anything. It's, a, it's really freedom of speech from a comedian's perspective. And it's sort of, there's so much history in there about how we got to the point where, like, stuff we said on stage in the 80s, we would never stay, say now. Right. You know? There's so much stuff, like, thank God Don Rickles is dead. You know? I think that's <laughs> the name of one of my chapters, is thank God Don Rickles is dead. But... You know, there's so much stuff. You know, you look at Blazing Saddles and you look at all these, you know, what what was funny then. And, like, kids today don't get why that was funny. Um, and so we get to this point where we're saying, like, in the, in the uh, 2000s, the early 2000s, and women are dressing sexy and, and saying whatever the hell they want on say, I mean, like there's all these barriers that are broken and then boom, this politically correct left comes out and is like, Oh, if you're going to perform at our college, you're not going to be able to say that. Don't tell me what I can say and can't say on, on stage. You know, it's just like what Adrian said to me. It's your time. Do with, do with it what you, you want. It's your time to be on stage. But it's like now, Everyone's offended over, they don't listen. No one listens to the intent of the comic. What Things are taken out of context and posted online. Um, it, it's nuance. There's so much missing uh, when you are, when someone repeats your joke or takes a snippet of it or, what about how everyone has a platform now? Like, oh, I saw I saw this one perform and she did a joke about this and she's a she's an asshole. And then people believe it. You know, it's like Right. And it's a sense of humor. It's a sense. It's like you either like salty food or you don't like salty food. You know? You either like sarcasm or you don't like sarcasm. But don't tell someone they can't be sarcastic because you don't fucking like it, you know? Well, you know, we talked earlier about not knowing what's going to happen to comedy. And, you know, thinking about your book, I haven't been able to, to read a, in advance of it. But thinking about your book, I was reminded, you know, after 9-11, so many people were telling us irony was dead. And what was comedy going to do after 9-11? My very first comedy festival I ever attended was uh, the HBO Aspen Festival in February of 2002. Oh, yeah. And their whole theme was freedom of speech. And they celebrated Carlin and the South Park guys and Norman Lear. And it was all about being able to say whatever you can say. So within six months after 9-11, comedy was back. Oh, comedy. Well, that's why, you know, the subtitle is when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. And it's true. Once you start shutting up comedians, once you start taking satire seriously enough that it's like a weapon uh, against you. I mean, you know who, look at who's in the White House. Like, when you start calling for SNL to be shut down, Hmm. you know, first of all, there's so many stories in the book, but there's one story about the Smothers Brothers. They're a big part of the book. They were at that festival too. Yeah, and so they we're really giving Lyndon, B, Lyndon Johnson a hard time. And he wrote to the head of CBS, was like, can you please have them lay off? And, you know, uh, there's a story about how they said, all right, we'll lay, we'll lay off if you let us have Pete Seeger on again, because he was banned. <laughs> and they're like, oh, they were so stupid. They're like, oh, folk singer, sure. You know, 
And so they ended up having a lot, they ended up getting, really getting fired by, by the network because of censorship. And Lyndon Johnson wrote them a letter saying, the, one of the greatest things about being American is that you can be fodder for satire. And, and my job, you know, that's part of my job of being president, that I would be the brunt of so many jokes. And it was an honor. It's an honor. And, and can you imagine this one <laughs> say, I mean, he can't, he nope. can't even, like, if someone, make, if someone mocked me on SNL and did an impression of me, I'd be like, oh, my God, I made it. Oh, my God, this is the greatest thing, you know? I re- and for I, him. Yeah, I remember Jeff Ross telling me that during the Comedy Central roast of Trump, he, he had to t- take, a, like, a commercial break, and Jeff went to Trump during it and said, you got to lighten up. Right. <laughs> and And he... He, in order to love comedy, you have to be self-aware. You have to be smart, right? You have to be humble. You have to know how to laugh at yourself and not take yourself seriously. I mean, there's nothing funny. I mean, what about he can't even deal with the White House Correspondents' Dinner? I mean, really? Well, <laughs> well we don't have to worry about that in 2020. So, Right, that's true. So going back uh, to bring this full circle... You know, you mentioned- I'm going to send you, I got to send you the book. You go, I can't believe you didn't get an advanced copy. All right. But to circle back yeah. uh, to the late, great Adrian Tolsch and her advice to you to take advantage of your time. What do you want to do with your time now? I mean, I miss getting on stage so much. Um, when things get back to some semblance of normal, what do you want to do? Well, the first thing is get on stage. Um, I want to thank those. I got to thank the people who put their lives on the line. I want to do something, you know, I, you know, these doctors and nurses, and then you think of the delivery people and the police and the fire, you know, all these people who were sacrificing themselves that I would love to give back in some way, shape, or form. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, don't you get so emotional like the, at seven o'clock when they, everyone start? I mean, starts clapping and I don't know. I just, how does Trump not have coronavirus? <laughs> I, I don't. How does he not have it? I, I don't know. It's, okay. Probably because it's, uh, it's too afraid of him. I don't know. Yeah, it probably hates him. I, I just, we got to get a new president. The other thing is, mm-hmm. I will be fighting for that. That, you know, in all the administration, so I started doing stand-up and Reagan was president. And... We made fun of every president, no matter what their party was. For comedians, we are social commentators. It's, you know, you could make fun of, I mean, Clinton was a goldmine, you know? And 
I'm telling, it's so mind boggling that you'll be on stage and you'll do a Trump joke and it, it is a cult. They get so insulted. They can't laugh. That's the end of, you know, did you ever go, I mean, do people go see an orchestra and they're like, oh, I think the, you know, first chair clarinet is uh, a socialist. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, watch the rest of it. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, we're in, I thought it was, we were divided during George uh, uh, W. Bush. But this is, I mean, having a president who's evil and dumb, that's the worst part. The dumb part. Well, Judy, it's a, it's a testament to your humanity that when I asked you what you wanted to do with your time in comedy, that you focused on other people. You didn't, you didn't give me an answer about that Broadway show or the, or the Joe's. Oh, right. Yeah. I asked you what you want to do and you were like, I want to do something for other people. That's a testament to you, Judy. So. Oh, thank you. I do. I want to thank them some way, maybe doing show. I don't know. I'm doing whatever I can from here, but yeah, I want to make the world a better place. I look forward to you doing that, Judy. So thank you so thank much. You. For, for oh, Zoom. my God. Thanks for having I me. Really I appreciate it. We can hug one day soon. <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.